0: Amen. Well, friends, it is a, a new year, 2021. And more than any other year, like, there's, there's some serious uh, resolutions happening, right? We're like, 2020, that's, that's over. We need to make, do some serious work to kind of turn this ship around. Like, more than, more than other years. Like, let's put that behind us, and let's get to work um, and get some new things on, on our plates. And so you guys are making all kinds of resolutions in your lives. Um, and what I want to do this morning, uh, kind of over the next... Three weeks to just kind of throw a few things out there to you um, that maybe, may, maybe you, would, you would be interested in adding to your resolutions. Just a few more little things that I think might be more valuable than the things that you have come up with for your resolutions. I don't know what your resolutions are, but I, I, I have some things that might be uh, more valuable for that. Some things that might not just change this season of your life or this year of your life for you, but might change the rest of your life for you. At my house, we are reading uh, Prince Caspian. Um, if, for those of you who don't know, Prince Caspian is one of, the, one of the books in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And so every night before, as our boys are going to bed, um, we've, been, we've been reading Prince Caspian. We're actually going to probably finish it tonight. We, are, we have about a half a chapter left. And as I was reading it just a few nights ago, in the second to last chapter in Prince Caspian, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, uh, they're, in, they're living in this magical world, Narnia, and uh, it's, it's all... It's all it's all this gospel picture that C. S. Lewis is painting. Uh, through it through a children's work, right? So Aslan, Aslan the lion, is the is the Christ character in the story, and in Prince Caspian, I won't, I won't read it for you, but it's it's the second coming of Christ. He's, he's returning to Narnia. He's been gone for for so long. We actually don't know how long, but a very 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 long time. Aslan has been gone, and he returns to Narnia, and and he's running through all of the land of Narnia, this massive lion. And as he runs through the land, all of old Narnia is being is coming back to life all the talking animals and all these strange creatures they're all coming back to life and they're celebrating and they're dancing and there's joy and the, the trees are running around and dancing right and all of the new Narnia these kind of this this people this generation that doesn't didn't believe in Aslan didn't didn't really buy into any of that mystical, crazy stuff, all the stories that were told, right? The, the Telmarines, as these people are called, they're running for their lives, right? C.S. Lewis uses this language, he says, because they'd never seen a lion before. They'd never seen anything like this before. They're, they're, they're scared and they're, they're running away from Aslan as he runs through all of the, all of the towns and all of the forests. And he's running through this town and all of a sudden all the Telmarines, Marines are running for their lives. And Aslan stops. There's this little girl Standing outside of the house, and she's just crying, and she's crying and crying. And Aslan says, "Why do you weep, little girl?" She's crying. She's, she's in the house, and she's sick, and she's dying. And there's a, there's a woman in the house, and she's she's sick, and she's dying. So this girl's outside crying because she doesn't know what to do. She's helpless. She didn't she not know how to she didn't know how to help her. And so Aslan begins to go into the house, but he can't fit into the house because he's a gigantic lion um, and so he just moves the whole house because he's also God right he just moves the whole house and all that's left is the bed and the woman and C.S. Lewis uses this language he says she's more she's more dead than alive she, she looks like she's wearing dwarf skin she's just frail and crinkly and sickly looking and dying and Aslan looks over her and she looks up at Aslan And Cecilia says, there's no fear in her. There's no terror. She doesn't tremble. She doesn't try to run. She doesn't scream. She looks up at Aslan and says, oh, Aslan, there you are. I always knew you were real. Have you come to take me home? I'm reading this story to my boys, and I'm like weeping. I'm just like crying as I'm like reading this and realizing this that day, that, that day, that moment is coming for all of us. It's coming for you. It, c- it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a few years from now. It could be a hundred years from now. That day is coming for you where you will stare into the face of Jesus. And the world will flee. They, they, will, they will be in absolute terror because they've never seen a lion before. And some of us will look at him and say, "I know you." It's the day, the day. Have you come to take me home? And other of us, other, other other of us will flee in terror. And I wonder if that day was the day. If the day was that day. If Christ returned and you stared him in the face, what would that day? What would that moment be like for you? What would it be like for you? I believe that there are certain disciplines or certain things in our lives that we can begin to do today. That will influence that, influence that moment. There are certain disciplines in our life that will, that will influence the way we respond. And the way we react in that moment. When our, our eyes close in death or at the return of our king. When we see Jesus for the first time. When we see one that we've never seen before. Nothing like anything we've ever seen before. There are certain disciplines that will influence the way we respond in that moment. That will influence that moment. Things you can begin to do right now today that will change that day for you. And over the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to unpack some of those disciplines. I'm going to unpack some of those disciplines ones. Here at Flourishing Grace, we have this thing we call the Path of Flourishing. Uh, we, we opened this up a few years ago, actually, and we were going to dive way deep into it in 2020. And then everything went crazy. And so we said, you know what, let's just, let's just it's too important. Let's just wait until we can get back into it. And so this year, we're actually going to get really deep into what we call the Path of Flourishing here at Flourishing Grace. And I'll, we'll explain more about that later, later this year. But right now, all I want to do is kind of sit in kind of the first bucket. The Path of Flourishing has five buckets. What we would say is this. At any person, any stage in their life, whether you are um, in your early 20s or all the way up through, men, um, if our are, are people in the room who are in their 70s, uh, if, you are, if your relationship with Jesus is growing and it's vibrant and it's rich and it's delightful, there, there are five things that we'd say men are for sure true of you, right? We flourish by beholding. We flourish by following, we flourish by becoming, we flourish by community, and we flourish by overcoming. Now, we talked about all of those at length in the past, and we're going to get way deep into them later this year. But this morning, I just want to focus in on, and for the next three weeks, I want to focus in on beholding. Beholding Jesus is the lifelong, all-day, everyday, life-giving discipline of every follower of Jesus, every fall of Jesus, we know that there is goodness and sweetness and richness and vibrancy and rest and endurance are all produced as we fix our gaze on Jesus, as we behold him, as we set our hearts on him. There's, our, our hearts begin to change. We begin, we, be, we are transformed as we behold Jesus. So many things in this life, promise, true, flourishing, right? We, we, we think that there are things in our life that we believe are going to offer flourishing. And, and they're good things and right things, right? Maybe it's a brand new job. Like this is, this is it. This is the one that I've been waiting for. It's the, the flexible days, high pay, good benefits. This is it. And there's, there's this moment of flourishing in there. Maybe it's a, a newborn baby, right? Yeah, how, can you, how can you not have flourishing when there's a newborn baby? It's amazing. Like that's a sweet... Sweet moments, right? Maybe it's getting in shape. Like if I could just get in shape, then I would have flourishing. If I was just healthier, it'd be flourishing. But the truth is, all of those things are fading things. None of them are ever coming for you. They're always leaving you. The new job comes, but then it's quickly leaving again. It's it, it grows old grows tiresome and there will for sure be hard days there and there will be times that you don't like it and you may even come to a place where you don't like it at all anymore. You realize that your coworkers and you don't get along or your boss doesn't get along with you. It's not a flourishing thing. It's a fleeting thing. Your health is always fleeting. It doesn't matter how good of shape you might get in. You might be the fittest person on the planet. We are all getting older and there's a time coming for you when you say, I just can't do the things I used to be able to do. Any of my good gray haired friends in the room get an amen from that? There's a time coming for you where you say, I I used to be in shape, but now I just can't do that anymore. No matter how hard I try, no matter how hard you try, you just can't, can't seem to make those things happen anymore. And that newborn baby will eventually become a two year old, and you'll say, What have we done? What have we done? All the things in this world that offer, promise us flourishing are actually fleeting things. The only thing that's constantly coming, constantly pouring into us, constantly feeding us is the person of Jesus Christ. If he gives to you an unbelievable amount, he has infinite more left to give to us. Infinite more life, infinite more joy, infinite more delight, infinite more endurance, infinite more resolve, infinite more rest... In John's gospel, John talks about this at length that Jesus is offering life to us, like genuine life. He says, in, right out of the gate in John 1:4, he says, In him, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. He is the source. It is in him, the source of all that we crave, this life, this vibrancy, this rest, this endurance, it's in him. Those of us in the room this morning who are weary and tired and worn out, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The thing that we crave, he is the source of it all. He goes on in John 10.10, Jesus says this, he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Why did Jesus come? That you may have life and have it abundantly, not normal life, not everyday life, not not breath in your lungs and blood in your veins. He already gave that to you. That you might flourish every day. That you might have joy in the midst of sorrow. That you might have delight in the midst of poverty. That you might have endurance in the midst of crisis. That you might have true flourishing. Jesus is the source of all real human flourishing, and therefore we must behold him. We must behold him. There's a, there's a quote, kind of a famous quote, but nobody really knows who said it. Um, it comes from a guy, his name is Father John Colkin. He, he was a Catholic uh, priest, and he turns a, kind of a professor. He says this, he says, We become what we behold. You become what you behold. As you fix your gaze on this thing, you become that thing. We, we shape our tools, and then our tools shape us. As we give our lives to things, our lives begin to take on those things. doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you invest yourself into fully and completely, it'll begin to shape you. If we want to be shaped by Jesus, we must behold him. We become what we behold. There is one real source of all true human flourishing, and it is Jesus. And if you are going to find that flourishing, it will be found in him, or it will not be found at all. There is no other place to find it. It is him and him alone. Jesus says it this way in John 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I I am the true source. Of all human flourishing, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, now that line, my father is the vine dresser, and I'm the vine. For for us in this room, you, you may not pick up on it. You probably don't pick up on it. But his original audience in first century Israel would have known exactly what he's alluding to in that moment. He's throwing their minds back to some Old Testament text, namely um, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah five one through four reads this way. Um, this This is a prophecy from God to the people of Judah. He says this, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of the stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? What's going on? God is prophesying through Isaiah using this metaphor, right? He says, Listen, I did everything. I found the most fertile soil on the most fertile hill, and I made it even better. I cleared it of every rock. There was no more rocks in the whole thing. I got rid of all of the rocks, and then I found the the best, the most choice vines, and I planted them in in the ground. There they are. This is the best of the best. I built a watchtower in the middle of it so nobody would jack with it. It's protected constantly. I put a wine vat right there so that my wine would be the freshest wine, right from the grapes, right to the vat. It's going to be perfect. He did everything he could. And yet, it yielded wild, nasty, gross grapes. And God says, judge between me, the vine dresser, and my vineyard. What more could have the vine dresser done? Nothing. He gave everything. He did everything that he could possibly do for his people. And yet his people, his people chose to be wild grapes rather than to endure and delight in their God. In Jeremiah 2, we see a similar prophecy. Jeremiah 2, 21 through 22. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy, a pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with, with lie and much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. Right? There it is again. I have done everything for you. I, I, I planted a holy vine, this perfect, I did everything for you, and you still reject me. You still turn regenerate, and there's nothing you can do to fix that. You wash yourself with a lie and soap, and you cannot remove the stain of your sin. You cannot remove the blemish. And so, Jesus, in John 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine. Juster. Jesus is saying, I became the vine. I became the vine for you. What more could he do? That's, that, is the, that is the maximum extent that God could do for us. I became the vine for you. I put on flesh and I dwelt among you. I went to the cross to. Purchase you with my life, to wash you with my blood, to make you white as wool and pure as snow. I have to clothe you in my own righteousness. I became the vine. I became the vine. So that you could tap into me, and that I could produce in you flourishing. You see, even in the most perfect environments, in the most perfect environments, there is no true. Human flourishing apart from Christ. Jesus says, I am the source. I am the vine. I'm the source of all human flourishing. You you can make millions of dollars a year, and there is no true human flourishing apart from Christ. You can be the picture of perfect health, and there is no true human flourishing apart from Christ. You can post whatever pictures you want to post on Instagram and make them look amazing in every way. But the only real flourishing happens when we are attached to the vine. The source of all flourishing had to become attached to us that we might be made clean. And I wonder for us in this room, I wonder for how many of us God might still be saying the same thing. What more could I possibly do for you? You grumble and complain because you're weary and you're tired, and you're just worn out by life. There is no flourishing in you. There's no real joy. There's no real delight. There's no real happiness. What more could I possibly do for you? I've done everything for you. Why won't you just simply abide? Here's what Jesus says next in that same verse, John 15, verse 4 through 5. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, we simply abide in Christ. That's it. That's it. That's our goal. That's our aim. In fact, it's our ultimate goal. The ultimate goal of every true Christian is to be continually attached to Jesus every single day. The ultimate goal of every true follower of Jesus is to be attached to Jesus every single day. And I have grown convinced after being a pastor for so many years that the reason why we do not experience the full life that Jesus has on offer is because we fail to abide we fail to rest in him, to be attached to him all day, every single day. That is the ultimate goal of every follower of Jesus. a of, of Flourishing is, is a gardening term. It, it's this idea, right? If you walked into an orchard, right, and there, this, and there was this beautiful apple tree with these beautiful apples on it. They're not quite perfectly ripe yet, but they're, they're almost there. And you plucked one of those apples, and you set it on the ground, and you left, and you came back a week later. What would the apple on the ground look like? What would it be? Rotten, Rotten, thank you. Not a trick question. Easy, easy one. Layups, friends, layups, right? It'd be rotten. It'd be mushy and gross, and nobody would want to eat it. But the one right next to it, still in the tree, would be bigger and greener and juicier because it's being fed by the vine. It's being fed by the tree. It's flourishing. This is the same picture that Jesus is painting for us. He says, man, when you remain in me, you are going to grow. He's not saying you're going to go grow richer. and He's not saying you're going to grow healthier. You're going to flourish. True human life. Not the things that the world promises us. Genuine life is what he has on offer. Abide in me. However, abiding takes some work. I know that might sound funny. You're like, wait, no, 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 Josh. You said all you have to do is simply abide. That's our job. No, no, abiding takes work. Abiding is simple. You You just rest in Christ. It's amazing. It's so simple. But when we live in a world that is constantly producing all of these things that are promising, flourishing, if you just had this, if your life was just this way, If your spouse was just this way, if your kids would just listen, if you just read this book, if you just worked out, if you just did this diet, if you just made this amount of money, right? All of these things to to keep our gaze fixed on Christ, to behold him, rather than beholding those things, takes work. I, I love how William Polson puts it. He says it this way. He says, it is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. It's unlikely. For those of you who are just kind of drifting through your faith, it's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our lives. But there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily life. Life. There is nothing, nothing that will enrich your life more than the presence of God in the routine of your daily life. However, he says that you're going to need to reorder some things. You're going to need to commit to some things. You're going to need some discipline. And that's what I want to do over the next three weeks. I want to talk about what are the basic, basic primary disciplines of beholding Jesus. We must start there. If you're not doing that, if you're not beholding Jesus, all of the other things in the path of flourishing will fail you. They don't work. We must be a people who behold Jesus. And so the first one, the first discipline that we're going to talk about this morning, we'll get into the rest rest of the uh, next three weeks. The first one is this. One of the primary and fundamental necessities of those who have walked the path of flourishing for the past 2,000 years. This is primary, it's fundamental, but yet it's a necessity is giving themselves to the daily study of his word. You cannot flourish without the word of God. You can't. You can't behold Jesus without the word of God. If you were to meet someone on on the street and you were to begin to engage in a conversation with them and you wanted to get to know them, you wanted to behold them, right? You'd want information about them. You'd ask them questions. Where, Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What was it like? What were your parents like? What was your family like? What, what, do, you, what do you do for work? What, what do you do for fun? Where do you like to hang out? What's your favorite type of food? What, what do you do? All of these things you want to get to know the person. And the more, you, the more you like that person and maybe even fall in love with that person, the more you are obsessed with knowing them. My wife, Desiree, I want to know everything about her. I want to know, I want to know everything about her childhood and her, and her teenage years and her college years. Well, you can skip some of the college stuff. Um, and beyond that, I want to know. I want to know everything about her. I want to know everything that's going on in her life. I want, to, I want to know everything that she loves and everything that she doesn't love. In the same way, the Word of God informs us about everything there is to know, at least in this life, of Jesus. On every page is God's redemptive plan. 66 different books, 40 plus different authors, all informing us of God's redemptive plan. And God's redemptive plan for you is Jesus. The Bible is not about you, it's not your roadmap to life, it's not how you should live, it's who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he is still to this moment doing for you. It's all about him. It is the primary source that we have. in which he has made information concerning himself available to us. But what I want you to hear this morning is that that's not its full purpose. Yes, the Bible is a gift from God in which we can come to and find information about him and about Jesus. But that's not its primary, that's not its primary purpose. The primary purpose of the Bible is not that you would have information about Jesus. The primary purpose of the Bible is that you would have flourishing in your life you would flourish. Why did Jesus come? So that you might have life and have it abundantly. Why did he give you his word? so That you might have life and have it abundantly. I, I love the qu- quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, the Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. The Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to the person that isn't. Uh, o- over the years, and especially over last year, a-, a lot of people have sat down with me, and, and there's things blowing up in their life. Maybe it's their job, it's, it's something going on with their career and they're, they're, they're frustrated with their work. Maybe it's their marriage. Their marriage is, it's, 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 it's a mess, it's tanking. Maybe it's their kids, they just can't figure it out. Right? Someone's blown up in their life and they sit down with me and inevitably through conversation I ask them every single time the same question. Tel, tell me about your time in the Word. And the response is almost always the same. Man, there's this amazing Bible app on my phone. Like, you, can, you can download like, thousands of like, reading plans. So, it's so cool. Josh, have you heard about it? Have you heard about this thing? It's so cool. you got to check it out. It's amazing. It's, so, it's great. Y- yeah, but tell me about your time in the Word. Y- yeah, no, it's, it's a, like, there's thousands of plans. You can download them right there. It's in your pocket. A, like, a, you, can, you can listen to it. It's so cool. It, like, plays it. Yeah, I know. I have it on my phone. But tell me about your time in the Word. You see, the Bible is falling apart. It usually belongs to someone who isn't. It's like the, it's like going to like a trainer and the trainer's giving you a workout plan and a diet plan. And they say, "I mean, how's that diet going?" And you're like, oh, "I did this perfect. It's great. No no carbs in my house. No 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 saturated fats. No, no sugar. No, I haven't had sugar. I haven't had sugar in months." And the trainer's looking at you like, "Really? Are you sure about that? Because I've been doing this for a long time." You go to the dermatologist, and, like, and she's like, how often do you wear sunscreen? Oh, every day? I put sunscreen on every day? Oh, three times a day. Three, yeah, three times a day. And she's like, are you sure? Because I have a PhD, and I'm looking at your face, and it's telling me a different story. I've been doing this for a long time. And one thing I know is your life declares your time in the Word. Your life declares your time in the Word. They're inextricably linked And I know that Jesus wants to produce flourishing in your life. That's why he came, to give you life and give it to you abundantly. He set it all up for you. But again, I wonder for how many of us, he is asking the question, what more can I possibly do to get you to just simply abide? What more do I have to do to get you to simply abide? Simply listening to your Bible in the car on the way to work is great. It's great. Don't don't stop doing that. But if you want to have true, genuine, beholding Jesus, producing genuine flourishing in your life, you're going to need to do a little bit more than that. You're going to need to give yourself to the Word of God, to reading it daily, again and again and again and again and again, to knowing it, to beholding Jesus through His Word. If you want to play piano, Watching some YouTube videos and dinking away on the keyboard for a few hours a day is, is good. Do that. But I'm pretty sure Chopin did a little bit more. Just, just, a little bit, just a little bit more than that. If you want to grow in anything, if you, if you, want, to, if you want to get fit, right? Going for a walk every day is good. Do, do that. It's healthy. Get out. Get some fresh air. That's good for you. But if you want to get ripped, I don't think going for a walk is going to cut it. I don't know anybody's gotten ripped going for walks, okay? You're going to have to do a little bit more than that. If you want genuine, Christ-produced flourishing, you're going to need to give yourself to the Word of God. To find flourishing in the Word of God, we need God to engage our whole hearts. I said the primary purpose of the Word is not information. It's increased affection. I love how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 119. He says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. The psalmist says, look, look, I know the word of God. The psalmist knows the word of God better than you and I. He knows the word of God. He knows the information better than you and I. He could quote it to you. But he says, that's not what I want. Teach me, O Lord. Teach me. Inform me. Give me understanding. I want you. I want to behold you. I want to join with you in the reading of the Word. I don't want to do this by myself. I don't want just information. I want intimacy. And that's the purpose of reading the Word. Intimacy. Not information. This book is an unbelievably precious gift that's been given to us by the God of all things. And so many people never get past the fact that it's, it's complicated. There's some strange things in there. There's some hard things to understand. But that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. Uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about this. this told the story. I, I got my son um, a Lego set for Christmas that was ridiculously expensive. I'm not bragging. I'm embarrassed by this. Like way too much money, okay? And beyond him. Okay, he's six. On the box, it says for 16 and up, okay? It has like 8,000 pieces. It's this massive roller coaster. And for the past two weeks of my life, I've been locked in a basement working on a roller coaster with my kid. Two weeks, my fingers are bleeding. He's like cracking the whip behind me. Work, dad. Oh, I can't, he doesn't even let me eat, doesn't let me sleep. It's, it's been awful. Just kidding. We finished it just, just two days ago. Um, seriously, it took two weeks. Um, but why would I do that? Why would I get a six-year-old a Lego set for a sixteen-year-old? I'm not I'm not into Legos. I've never I've never just gone out and bought Legos for me, right? It's not something I would do. But I love to hang out with my kid. And I know he can't do that sixteen-year-old Lego set by himself. And so every night and every day for two weeks. I get to sit in a room with my boy and play and laugh and watch him, his delight and his joy swell as he sees this thing coming together, and as it grows bigger and bigger and bigger, and he sees this thing that we're working on together. I get to experience all of that with him. And friends, I'm telling you, that's why God has given us his word. He wants to join in the reading of his word with you, not for the sake of information, but for the sake of intimacy. The Bible is a gift that's meant to be open with God and played with and enjoyed with God. If you want to fix your gaze on the source of all human flourishing, you need to sit down with your Bible and begin to ask God to join you and help you behold him through his word. You see, the point of every spiritual discipline is not behavioral modification. It's love. It's intimacy. That's the point of disciplines. Not to increase the regularity in which we do things, but rather to increase our affection for God. And the reading of the word is no different. I believe that for those of us who will give ourselves to beholding Jesus through his word, when that day comes and our eyes open up and we see something that we've never seen before, those in the room who have Known him through his word will say, There you are. I know you. Have you come to take me home? And those who have failed to do this will not recognize him because you have not beheld him. So I want to challenge you this morning to take that Bible reading plan that we've given you this morning and take it seriously. To commit to the next two years of your life to engaging the word every single day, not for the sake of information, but for the sake of intimacy that you would do it with him every moment every day let me pray for you Jesus you have done everything for us everything your vineyard is perfect the vine is perfect there is nothing more you could possibly do so would you help us by the power of your spirit would you help us to be a people who simply abide fix our gaze on you every moment of every single day until the things of this world become meaningless and nothing compared to you help us to be a people who treasure you above all things as we open your word every single day would you produce flourishing in our lives would there be a nearness to you that we've never experienced before? A sweetness, a delight, a joy, meaningful purpose and rest, a resolve, a determination to know you, to plumb the depths of who you are. Would you draw near to us for this daily study of your word as we give ourselves to it? I'm praising your sweet name. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand, friends? We'll sing one last song together this morning.